Grace and mercy and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit. Amen. What's running your life? What's running your life? What seems to have control of your thoughts, your actions, your successes, your failures? Now you may say, well, <clears throat> I don't know. I'm running my life. Are you? That would mean that every thought you have and every word that comes out of your mouth and every action you take is something that you fully approve of because you're in control of it. So do you fully approve of everything you do and say? You know, if every thought you have was suddenly projected on a big screen behind your head so that everybody could read every thought that was in your mind, think you'd be okay with that? No. Neither would I. Many of our thoughts are embarrassing, even shocking to us. Well, then if that's true, who's running them? Who's running them? Who's running your thoughts? Who's running your words and your actions? What's controlling your life? Now, let me step back from that question for a moment. Put it over here. We're coming back to it. And just talk for a moment about, specifically about control. Now, control is a hard thing to give up, is it not? You say, well, why would we even want to give up control? Because sometimes good things can happen when we give up control. It's true. In fact, sometimes, even when your life is, sometimes, when your life is out of control, even then there can be good things that happen. Listen to this story. It's something to happen to a guy named Greg Gerhardt. Life for him and his wife Elizabeth was amazing. Everything was going exactly according to plan. He'd been married for 34 years, had two grown sons, was the owner of a successful car dealership. Then something happened. One afternoon, he felt a twitch in his pinky finger. You know what that means? Well, Greg found out. It took a while, but after consulting with a neurologist, he got the diagnosis, Parkinson's disease, early stage. But things progressed, and for the worst, Greg and Elizabeth sold their business, they retired, they moved. The tremors became more and more acute. Finally, brain surgery in Denver. All of this was beyond his control. But an amazing thing happened. Now personally, I haven't heard of this before, but I've read about it in his case. The doctors implanted a microchip in his brain to accomplish something called deep brain stimulation. And it worked. It helped mitigate some of the pain and suffering, but now it was a computer that was literally helping Greg function. Something other than himself was, as it were, running his life. Greg was, was still out of control, but now he was blessed. He was blessed. Okay, enough about control. Back to what's running your life. What's running your life? Some of us may be too ashamed to honestly answer that question. I want you to know if you are struggling, if you're troubled by what's running your life, God himself has got a proposal for you. Romans chapter 6, 2 to 4, this is the reading we had a moment ago, part of it anyway, it says this. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Newness of life. Think about what God is actually saying to you and me here. Instead of letting sin run your life, and sin would be the reason you never want your thoughts posted on that big screen above your head, because it's sin that's influencing your brain. Like stuff goes up there and you're like, yikes, okay? But instead of letting sin run your life, And by the way, also instead of having advertisers tell you what you need to be happy, but you don't ever really get happy from their stuff, and also instead of of heading down some broken road that you've been down before that leads you from worry to worry, all these old patterns, instead of all that, God is saying, hey, let me have a crack at it. Try me. Yeah. Give control to God. Now, come on now. If you were Greg Gerhardt with Parkinson's, would you have gone for that deep brain implant? Sure you would. Well, what about the situation that you actually are in? What do you think about walking in the newness of life that comes from having God alone, from having him in control? That's his proposal, and it would be his joy to do this for you. Now, what do those verses in Romans 6 say? We had these ones. It says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And we were buried with him, yeah, but also raised with him, yeah. Why? It says, So that we can walk now in newness of life. Being baptized, you know, the the, the doctors in Denver, I don't know how they do a surgery on your brain like that, but I can tell you how God works. The the way he does his procedure on you, we just saw him do it on river, is baptism. That's how he does his procedure. It means, baptism means he connects you and me to Jesus. Baptized into his death, we keep hearing those words, it means that Christ's death on the cross now pays for all your sins. You're baptized into him. In baptism, Christ's death washes you and it gives you total forgiveness. Total, as if you never sinned. It gives you that. And baptism has connected you not only to Christ who died, but also to the Christ who rose bodily from the dead, the risen living Jesus. And he gives you what? Newness of life. The Bible says that God actually connects his amazing promise of new life. He connects that promise to simple water, Simple water, because he's come for simple people, like that little boy, River, and like you, and like me, to wash us and to give us new life. All right, sins washed away. Holy Spirit given to us as a gift. Net result, the old life no longer has control of you, and new life is what's out there in front of you. Why? Because new life is what Jesus is, right? Jesus is, he's so great, we, we, we stretch the language to talk about how great he is. He's light. Jesus is life, new life, risen life. He's life lived in God and to God. And he's life lived as a blessing for the neighbor. 
and you've been baptized into this Christ. It's, it's astonishing. In other words, the Savior takes away sin, is now your Lord. Another word for that is he's, he's king. Jesus is now your king. Having saved you from all condemnation, he's now present to run your life. The risen Jesus. But, but let's be clear though. Though king, he's no tyrant and he's not going to push his rule on you. He's not going to force any control of his control of you. Even though his control is light and it's love and it's wisdom and it's joy, it's freedom, but he's not going to force it on you. Rather, he's going to move you to seek him by faith, to seek the Lord of life in the driver's seat of your life, the, the Lord of love at the helm of your ship, sitting at your control panel. For those who know Jesus, his offer of control is great good news. It's what the gospel is all about. Paul goes on to say it this way. We know that the old self was crucified with him. And that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, like it's control taken away. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And then in verse 8 he says, Now if we have died with Christ, i.e. by being baptized, we believe that we will also live with him, like right now. So think about what this means. Before, before you had something ruling you. Something was sitting at the control panel of your life, pushing the buttons, and what was it? It was sin. Together with the broken, corrupt, confused, misleading, sinful world. All this was pushing buttons, controlling you. They had you. But no more. Christ has defeated and deposed sin. And he is on the throne. Christ has wrestled the controller away from the sinful world. And now he's the one in control. And you are baptized into Christ. These old rulers and controllers, controllers, they still exist, but they have no claim on you. No claim on you. Christ died for you to break their claims. You're baptized into him. You belong to Christ. I mean, you belong to him legally, officially, really. You belong to Christ. He's your savior. He's your king. Only him. But at the same time, like I said, he's not, though king, he's not going to force his rule on your life. But why would you not want his rule? Why wouldn't you want Jesus to graciously run your life? <laughs> you think, well, I think other things will do better. Will they? Have they done better? Look at your life. Do, do these other things that you, that you like to control your life, do they love you? Really? Christ loves you so much that he died for you in your place so that you could break the hopeless bonds of whatever it is today that whatever it is that is against you today and instead live with him who is true life and true love and true wisdom, having an abundant life now and forever. But curiously, even tragically, don't we often go for, settle for, fakes and counterfeits? Don't we often settle for something far less than what God offers us? 
A lot of it's got to do with habit. We belong to Christ, yep, but we still have powerful habits of obeying our old master's sin. I, I, I'm like a computer. Though now, since my baptism, I belong to Christ, still there's something in my software here that makes me vulnerable to being hacked by my old master, sin. I find myself thinking, saying, and doing things that the king does not want me to do and that I don't even want to do. I can feel, as a result, misled and defeated. I can feel sinful. How does that happen? I read something the other day about Jeeps. You know, type of car, the Jeep. I believe for some time they've been made for, by uh, Chrysler. Well, engineers were testing a computer system they wanted to install in, these, in the Jeep. And uh, they put a, a journalist, a guy named Andy Greenberg, behind the wheel of a Jeep. And then they deliberately asked two computer professionals, Charlie Miller and Chris Valasek, to try and hack into the vehicle's entertainment system. They wanted to see if the Jeep was vulnerable to that or not. Well, it was. Once Greenberg started driving, this Miller and Valasek gained access to the vehicle from, the, from their computers in a remote location, and they began to control the SUV. First, they turned the air conditioning on. It blew really cold air on Greenberg. Then they turned, the, on, they turned on the heaters in the seats. Ever had that in your car? You don't want it in the middle of summer. Then they got loud music blasting out of the radio. The windshield wipers sprang into action, and Greenberg wasn't even touching anything. Then it got scary. They actually started to accelerate the car and finally drove it into a ditch. Greenberg was not in control. Anyway, once this vulnerability was exposed, the engineers at Jeep jumped into action, and they fixed all this up real quick. The point of this is that, unfortunately, our lives can be like that. The Bible particularly the book of Romans, talks about our lives being hacked. It's not exactly the language it, it uses, but that's what it means. What is it that hacks into us? The Bible says Satan does, sin does, this corrupt world does. They are trying to run your life and mine. They're trying to hack into your system. It seems that your own sinful flesh is a flawed operating system that doesn't keep those hackers out. And you, too, like that Jeep, can be driven into ditches, as it were, out of control. I think you all know what I mean. Sin can overwhelm you. You wonder, how did this happen? How did I get here? How did I do this? In an attempt to feel good again, what do we do? Well, we tend to run to the wrong solutions. The next high from drugs or alcohol. The next escape into pornography or sexual unfaithfulness the next purchase that gives you a temporary thrill, etc. It's all temporary, and eventually all of this too drives us into that ditch. In an attempt to regain control somehow, maybe we'll hit the emotion button, we'll go off in anger, or we'll pour on the self-criticism, or we'll just lie down in hopelessness. All these things we do. Now here's the thing. The Lord understands all this about you and me. He understands what makes us tick and what we do. He, get, he knows it. And you know what? He still loves you. He doesn't go, oh, pathetic, and walk away. He doesn't. He still loves you. And him loving you is not going to change. 
His love for you does not go up and down with your behavior. His love for you is always just up. Even when you're at your worst, his love for you is just up. You're his. How do I know that? You're baptized. You're forgiven totally. You getting out of, out of control with sin does not change that. However, the Lord does have, having been forgiven, he does have a better way for you to go forward from here. And he would love it if you chose it. It would be his joy if you would. What's this better way forward? That you would let him, your savior and your king, be the king and actually have control of your life. What's running your life? It could be Christ. That would be a deep and fantastic experience for you. Romans 6, 10 to 11 said, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, who have been baptized and believe in him, must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's God's proposal to you and me for a great life. We don't need to come up with a proposal for our own lives. Jesus already is the plan and he's already the pattern for living. And we're baptized into him. But there is something we should do, says Romans 6.11, and that is, the word was, we should consider. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Resisting one, open to the other, okay? Consider. Consider describes something you need to do. It describes an effort you need to make. Consider means intentionally directing your mind and keeping something in front of it. Consider yourselves dead to sin. So take your thoughts away from that. And alive to God in Christ Jesus. Put your thoughts over to him. You know, when those Chrysler engineers realized that hackers, and not the proper driver, uh, were in control of the Jeep, they were not passive about it. They took action. So you and I should also take action. Why? Because Jesus is the rightful driver of our lives, and abundant life comes by having him in control, not sin. And by considering, that is by intentionally working on our thought life, we can, God helping us, increase our responsiveness to Jesus, who is life, and decrease our responsiveness to the hacking of sin, which is kind of a death thing. Colossians 3, 1-2 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, which is a reference to being baptized into him, it says, if that's happened to you, you've been seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Again and again, the New Testament urges us to set our minds on the proper driver of our life, Jesus, and to resist putting our thoughts onto improper drivers. How is that done? I'm finishing in a very practical way here. How is this putting our thoughts around done? There are certain practices that make a huge difference. The first I would recommend is this. Pray. Like, get down on your knees, literally, and pray three times a day. Kneeling prayer. 
Carol and I have arranged our schedules to do this, and we do it. We do it at 6.15 in the morning, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and 9.45 at night. That's our schedule. It doesn't have to be that schedule for you, but that's what we do it. Why get down on your knees? Because it interrupts your life, and it makes you put God where, you, where he can bless you, <laughs> which is where? At the center of your attention. You know, lots of people say, oh, I pray all through the day. But you know what? I'm, I've said that too. But you know what I'm doing when I do that? I'm kind of running, rushing around, and I, I'm going off a quickie prayer to God. That's okay, but really, I'm getting God to be in orbit around super important, super busy me. And God in orbit around me, that's not God in control, okay? The pattern there is flawed. Reinforces the idea that I'm in control. Who controls your life? To make to make an effort and to learn to consider that it's Jesus, your Savior and King, it's very helpful to interrupt your day and actually kneel down to pray. What do you pray? Well, there's lots of great things you could pray. I'm going to make a suggestion, but there's lots of things you could pray. However, to make a suggestion, it's always a good suggestion to play the Lord's Prayer. And to pray it slowly and thoughtfully. Frankly, whipping through the Lord's Prayer, like you're going to say, 10 Our Fathers as fast as you can, is close to useless. But praying Our Father, and then thanking Him. He's my Father. I'm His beloved child, baptized into Christ. And going through the rest of your prayer with a similar slow thoughtfulness. This is what the Bible would call considering. Considering. Now, you know what? In the middle of the day, at one o'clock in the afternoon, if I'm on a train or something, I do not get down on my knees. And that would be something if I did, wouldn't it? But uh, I don't. However, I do close my eyes and just turn my hands up and silently pray. Something, it is not long, it's a Lord's Prayer. Just be centered on Him. He's the center, not me. Let me give you one other uh, important practice. Bible before phone. Now most people are constantly on their smartphones. And there's absolutely no question that these smartphones smartphones are spiritually forming us. There will be no abundant life coming from that. So Carol and I have both adopted the practice of not looking at, we have them, but we don't look at them or any other screen in the morning until we first Read from our Bibles. The Bible is God's app. Okay? Now let's say you don't do this. Let's say you don't do this. You wake up in the morning, your phone's right there by the bedside. It is for, for 99% of the people in here, your phone is right by the bed. You grab the phone, and the first thing you do, you say it is you look at your emails. How come? To get a jump on all the work, all the tasks that you've got to do that day. Why is this so important? Because by doing that work, I become valuable and I earn the praise of the people around me when I do work and it gives me a sense that I have value as a person. But that's totally false. My value as a person does not come from my work or from how others evaluate me. Though they do evaluate me, that's not where my value comes from. It's an idolatrous way of thinking about work to try to get your value from it. My value is given to me by God. It's rooted in his love for me. It is by grace. 
So I don't want to look at any email without first remembering who I really am in Christ. I make, this is what I do. I make the sign of the cross. I remember my baptism, saying, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and I say, I am a beloved child of God, and I am given the things of his kingdom in abundance. That's who I am. Once I know who I really am, once I'm wired into the king, now it's safe for me to look at email. But say you don't look at your email first. Say you grab the phone from beside the bed, and the first thing you look at is social media. What message is that imprinting on your soul first thing in the day? Well, this. Hmm. I'm not really as good looking as the people on the social media. And, uh, and I'm not as happy as these other people. Look at all the stuff they're doing. They're doing way better than I am, and my life is being evaluated and compared with theirs. And I feel like a flop. Again, totally untrue and spiritually poisonous. Instead, make the sign of the cross. Remember your baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and say, I am a, who am I? I am a beloved child of God. Thank you, Father. And I'm given the things of your kingdom in abundance. This is who I am. But say you don't look at any of that first. The first thing you do is turn your phone and flip to the news feed. You look at all this crazy stuff in the news, especially the political news. What does that do to you? It makes you say, this is outrageous. This is scandalous. I can't believe how stupid this is. Your identity is being wired first thing in the morning as the righteous judge of the world who sees through the idiocy of everything. But that's not who you are. And it's a very poisonous thing for you and me to think. Who are you? You're a baptized, beloved child of the king, given the things of the kingdom in abundance, called to serve this world, including those crazy people in the news. Therefore, before you look at your phone, open your Bible and read about the character and actions of your king and realize afresh who it is you belong to and what it is he would have you do. Kneeling prayer three times a day, Bible before phone. There are other practices that are helpful, but those will certainly give you a great start. As Paul wrote, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus for life everlasting. Amen.